0: Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, welcome to the Lindsay Hadley podcast show. And today I'm so excited to introduce Brandt. Vidick on our, to on a podcast to have him here today and share his story as a filmmaker, an author, an all-around amazing, nice Canadian dude. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Why don't you share with us a little bit of your story? I mean, I have to just quickly tell my audience that I read your book, The Three Minute Rule, when I was uh, trying to pitch my first television show. Um, when I I had and I used it and read it on double speed so I could get there. It is you got there. Amazing. So, Brant, pivoting. You guys, if anybody cares about learning about it, pitching anything, this isn't just for film and television. This is this would be, I think, for anything you want to sell and pitch. I mean, whether it's explaining like your elevator pitch about who you are and what you do or your business, or you know, just explaining, I mean, your faith, whatever. Right? I can't. I, I feel like the spectrum was so broad, but basically, it, it's a tried and true um, premise for how to hold attention and convince the value proposition to your listener, your audience. And anyway, I, I listened to this book in order to pitch a television show concept, um, and and was able to get the A-list talent, and then able to get a major studio involved, and in all of this uh, because of Grant. So, Grant, you're the man. Why don't you start with sharing a little bit about your journey, your story, what got you into filmmaking and television, and do all that you do, what you're doing oh, yeah, now, which is you super on exciting. The road. That's an <laughs> Well. You're the best. I mean, I'm so excited for everybody to learn from you because you have so much to share and now you're a public speaker, right? You're doing so many great things in consulting.
1: So, you know, I was a, a television producer for the last 20 years. I had a really good run, uh, reality TV and some film. Um, you know, and my job primarily was to create, and pitch the television shows. And what you're doing in that world is you're basically pitching air. There's nothing there. You have no product to sell. You're just pitching the sort of promise of what's out there and what could be. And that's very difficult to do, particularly when you're pitching, you know, the head of the network who was most likely and almost every time a better producer than I was and had been in the business longer. So what am I supposed to be talking about, right? So I I developed a very specific system during that time of saying not what I wanted to say, but saying what needed to be said and only that. And the shorter, concise, very to the point pitches started to have a real like resonance in the industry. And I started to get this reputation very quickly of having the best pitches in the industry. And it was like, I'm not really working that hard. And, you know, I remember specifically, I was going to pitch CBS very early in my career. And uh, I was waiting to go in the pitch room at CBS and Simon Cowell walked out of the pitch before me. And I was like, oh my God, I got follow false Cowell. This sucks. And so he comes and says, hi, and we're jibber jabbering a little bit. I can see him looking over my shoulder, like, you know, giving a nod. And they turn around, and it's like it's Mark Burnett that just locked in, and so he's going to come next. You know, one of the greatest television producers in my world. And I just got this feeling of dread that I am trapped between these two bookkeepers, and and what is the president of the network going to like? What does he want to hear from me, right? Like, what am I supposed to be talking about? Like between these two, and so I just got this this panicky thing of like I got to get in and out of this room as fast as possible, right? And we come in and the agent you know, talks what agents do. do? And we got something really great for you. And I, well, as soon as I heard you bring Brad, bring your equipment. And I pitched that show. Hey, here's what the show is. Here's how the show works. Here's why we think it's good for CBS. Budget range bunch of ranges. That's what we think we can produce. And I literally was out of the room in nine minutes. And normally, you're, you know, you're a half hour, 45 minutes yapping session. But I was in and out in nine minutes. And my agent said to me, as soon as he got the hallway, he's like, oh my God, that was amazing. That was the best pitch I've heard you do. You got to do that from here on in. And so I started doing that. and We sold that show and other shows and so on. So, you know, after the the, the the glitz and glamour of television wore off for me and I decided to retire from the day to day of television, that's when I wrote the book because I'd started helping other companies with their ideas and, and to develop them. And I didn't realize how they, that the idea of condensing your information to the most clean, clear, and concise fashion. Could be a communication style for every business. And so then I went into the consulting side of it and I've just been helping companies, CEOs, and, and people simplify their message and audiences with Hollywood with storytelling techniques.
0: That's just amazing. Like, I love yeah. that. I love that you literally named two of the biggest names in entertainment and that you're sandwiched them <laughs> at this pitch and that experience for you. I love yeah. that you're admitting that you know, you were having this imposter syndrome, so to speak, I'm characterizing that. But that fear of like, oh, my gosh, compared to these luminaries, who yeah, are that you know, yeah, exactly. But this idea that, you know, I think we all deal with that. We all deal with that at some point in our careers, and our lives, like, oh, my gosh, a comparative mindset. We're like, I'm oh, my gosh, I'm chopped liver next to whatever, whatever it is that we do. And the idea that actually you went in and being succinct and kind of being humble and being like, wow, I can't, you know, I don't know that I can compete with them, but I'm just going to be me. And yet you set a standard now for the industry. From what I understand, and your book talks about this, I mean, everybody now understands they have to pitch their their shows, but shorter. And executives now expect it. Like you really did set the bar. You transformed an entire vertical in how things are done. Isn't that cool? What do you think about that? How does it make you feel thinking about that?
1: And I see all the time when I see other stuff and I'll hear buyers will say that like, yeah, this is the way... Brands started this process because, you know, the biggest thing is that we live in an age of decision by committee, meaning like, you know, you're not pitching somebody who's just gonna pull up a check and write your check. It doesn't work like that in the world. Like, everybody's asking other people's opinions and whatnot. So what I say is like, it's simplify or suffer. you don't simplify your message, the person you pitch to will be simplifying for somebody else, and then you got someone who doesn't care and doesn't know well. Regurgitating. And it happened to me. I was at a meeting at National Geographic on a television show. One of my really close friends, the president of the network. I thought I was there to, you know, pick him up for lunch to have a celebratory thing because it was a green light meeting where they go through all the pilots that they made and they green light the, the ones they like. And I get there and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And his assistant comes down and says, Hey, Howard, I'd love you to join the meeting. And I'm like, What meeting are you talking about? We're supposed to be going to lunch. And it was the green light meeting was still on. And as a producer, I'd never been invited to one of those green light meetings. We're not supposed to be there. But he comes out of the hallway and he goes, Hey, listen, I knew you were down there waiting. I, it, it's not going well. Like, I'm, I'm I'm, trying to explain the show, but we went bad in the room. So I just told him to make a pause. And why don't you come and explain it and pitch it and, like, talk about it. And I was like, okay. So I went in there and, you know, I explained the show. And it was, it was vicious. There's 30 some odd people in this room and they all wanted to absolutely crap on the ID, right? And that's what happened. And so I listened to him explain it. And I was like, what show are you talking about? Like, that's not the one we've been working on. And I realized that like, if you don't put your information in a format in a structure in a way that somebody else can explain it, and maintain the value, you are going to lose the value in it. And that's what I started to do you know, religiously was like create systems of pitching an idea that you could pitch to somebody else and they would be able to pitch it to someone else. It's not who you pitch to, it's they pitched it really sort of batters for you. And that was the book trying to really hone that down. That's incredible. I feel like um,
0: the, some of the things you use were just, just very clear science-based understandings of how the brain works, right? And human nature. And Maybe can you share like a highlight reel of like why succinctness, you know, the keep it simple, stupid kind of a concept, like what you said, distilling it into the most important facts?
1: Well, it is. There is science behind it, right? Yeah, but just share whatever you, yeah. you know, want to share about it. The there is a lot of science. It, it sounds, yeah, it sounds easy, like that, that sort of thing, just short. It's not really that. There's actually a, a scientific structure to the way human beings categorize information and how we make decisions. And as anybody listening will know, like how many of you had someone come pitch or present or ask you something and you know, yes or no, in the first 30 seconds, first 10 seconds that they start talking, you're like, yeah, I'm not interested, right? And so as human beings, we, we make decisions in three compartments. First, we conceptualize, then we contextualize, then we actualize. And every decision, whether what you're going to have for lunch today, or whether we go to war with another country or whether you kill your husband tonight in his sleep. Like those decisions are all the same exact structure. I conceptualize, I need to know what it is that I'm talking about, what it is I'm looking at, what it is we're dealing with. Then I contextualize as in, okay, now that I understand what that is, now I can understand how that relates to me and what it's going to be in my life. And then we actualize and be like, okay, I know what it is. I understand how it's going to relate to me. Now I make decisions how get involved or not get involved. Or how much I'm going to spend, or what I want from it, or my next question. So, those three processes are absolutely crucial. And every human being does that for every single decision. What is it? How does that actually work? How is it connected to me? And what do I got to do next? And that's the framework in the book is called the WAC method. What is it? How does it work? Are you sure? And can you do it? And when you put a pitch into those four categories in that order, it is wildly powerful. Because people will hear exactly what you're saying. They will understand what it is that you represent and the value you bring. And they will start to act and engage and discuss with you from a place of engagement and not a place from information. When they don't understand, they're looking for information. They're not making good decisions. They're just trying to figure it out. And when they go from a specific place of, of understanding, that means they want to find out details for them. They're, they're looking to actualize it.
0: So Brad, I think it's so powerful what you're talking about, about how, the, how we, you know, you have first have to conceptualize something. And so when you're pitching, you have to paint the picture. And you talked a lot about telling it in a story. You use these examples of like, it has to have something that grabs somebody so that stays with them, you know, and you um, maybe share some of the, the, the projects you've done. Like from what I understand, you guys were the first to really create the those series arcs of live unscripted around weight loss shows. I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about that because nobody at that point had been that audacious to have such a journey, um, and and with such unknown outcomes and stuff. Maybe you can share a little bit about that because I think that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, like my like, all my like, profiles and everything. It's the you know people ask what shows you do. I always say like, Biggest Loser. If you actually ask what I did on the Biggest Loser, I'd be like, oh, nothing well, really. I mean, the show was a, was already going was there like i didn't have to do anything that show was a monster on its own right it wasn't there's no because of brand that show exists there's none of that but when i was with the company and i was like what other weight loss shows are we doing like none like how is that possible and so we decide like hey we're gonna corner the market and weight loss on television what we do? and one of the key pieces at the time for me was is i had done a show when i was running the tlc network that was called my 600 pound life it's turned out as like a, almost like a feature documentary type special. And we had, uh, you know, we we're getting 200,000 applications for the Biggest Loser a year. And there was always every year people that were just too big for the Biggest Loser. They weren't healthy enough. They couldn't move enough. It wasn't like, it wasn't safe to have them on. They were just too big. And so we were always like, God, we should do a show with these people. But they're so fat that there's no way to get them thick. So that's when we came up with the idea of uh, what if we could follow these people instead of being on a ranch for six weeks, what if we could follow them for six months or a year. And a year later, they're going to be fit. It'd be such a spectacular transformation. But then, you know, weight loss is a little too slow for that. And how are you doing that? We sort of came up with the idea of taking an entire year of the footage and then condensing it into one episode and filming for an entire year and staggering, right? No one had really done that before. It was sort of a wild idea, and I spent, I don't know. I mean, I want to say a month, it might have been more trying to figure out how to pitch that. It, sat, it sounds good when I say it now, but that's because I've already, I've already done it. At a time, you know, I'd bring people into the office and try to explain it. That, that was the plan for the show. And they'd be like, what? Who's going to be where? When is that? Mean? And nobody can understand it. So it was so in, into the details of it and the, and, the, and, and the nature of it and how it was going to be. And eventually I just got so frustrated. I remember seeing all the post it notes on the wall. And just seeing these highlighted ones that were based on these big bold letters of like, too fat for the Biggest Loser, all of them for one year, one episode, start out and you know, start out fat, and then you know, biggest weight loss on television. I was like, shit, that's really all I have to do. And I called the head of ABC and I was like, I need to see today. I got something spectacular. Trust me. He's like, I'll give you ten minutes whenever he said I. And he was angry and grumpy that I forced my weight schedule, and you know I walked in and that's basically what I said is that I want to show you this tape and this guy it was the guy putting on his socks, pound um, guy. It's so heartbreaking, and I just pitched that in that simple, you know? It's like these are contestants; they're too big for the Biggest Loser. We're going to follow them for one year. They're going to lose weight. We're going to be with them, trainer embedded in their house. They're going to lose weight over the years. We're going to fill all them at once. That's each one in one hour. They started the episode fat. They're going to end the episode. thin. And I said it I was like, you might not even have your job by the time we get this all the years. It could take 18 months to film. So I don't, but that's the show. And, and and just like, I just laid it on because I was trying to come up with ways of disguising that it was going to take 18 months to produce. I finally was like, here it is. And so they bought it. And then that was the door opening for all the other weight loss shows.
0: I, I mean, just to even think like, you know, by by making something that clear and that concise, that it could open up an entire avenue of, of all this creative content and all of this—no
1: pun intended—but it's so big and it was so outrageous. And no, like the idea of filming a show for a year and not even getting one episode done, and then trying to chop it all up and like, how are you going to afford that? Like, it was so over the top of an idea that no one had ever even thought of. It. And so the. But just the idea that you I walk in the room and pitch the entire thing that you've been working on for months, in three sentences, no one would have ever believed that. And I remember when I was driving to NDC, they're like, we're not ready. Why are you doing this? We're not ready. And I was like, it's, we're overcooking. And I didn't even have a finished tape. All I had was one clip of one guy putting on his sock. And it was like, "This is this is the people we're talking about. It's this simple. And I'm like, I'm leaving your office right now. I've already told you what it is. You don't get by that. I'm going to go sell it somewhere else. So that was the term. I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. But that's sort of what he, like, he's like, well, anybody who says it that cleanly and that simply must have the goods. And it's funny because I, I get so many requests from so many companies to, to train their sales force to be more confident, right? And it's like, no. Can't train your sales force to act more confident. You can pretend to be confident, but everybody everybody sees through that. The only way you have real confidence is in the value you believe you bring to others. If you believe what you bring has tremendous value, you will be confident, right? And I use the example: if I was if I was coming to cater your wedding, and you and your fiance were taking interviews with potential caterers to talk about the. The chef that I was going to use to the pitch. And my chef was Gordon Ramsay. And it's like, okay, how confident am I going to be that walking into the room? Right. And then how many words would I need to pitch you my chef, Gordon Ramsay? Right. I have Gordon Ramsay. I wouldn't talk about his Michelin stars. I wouldn't do his techniques on his beef. Well, I wouldn't do any of that. I'd just be like, I got Gordon Ramsay. And, and it, but conversely, if it was like, let's say my my brother in law, ex-convict, tattooed, never been a chef before, but was really angry with me and is demanding I get him a job, like I would be less confident and I would certainly use a lot more words to try to sell you. Oh, the chef, I'm beyond, like I would and you would be like, I don't like this, doesn't smell right. Something's wrong, right? And so the more words you use versus the less word is inversely proportional to how confident you are. And your audience knows this. The more you speak, the lower their value and confidence they believe you have. The more you try to sell, the less value they believe. That's just the reality of the world we live in today. And so someone who, can, who lays it out cleanly, concisely, accurately, doesn't try to sell you, gives you the information, and lets it live on its own, is like, whoa, something's going on here.
0: I love what you're saying. And it is convicting my soul because I'm someone who's long winded and speaks a lot. So it's like, you know, you're so right. When I look back on the times when I've had the greatest um, kind of connection when I'm communicating, it's because I know that I know that I know that I have the thing, and it just doesn't need a lot. You know, it's just like, hey, this is amazing. You know, so when I'm in a good place, when I'm, when I'm feeling whole, when I'm feeling like a lot of self-love, when I feel like resonant and present, yeah, I talk less. I listen more. I'm present, you know? So I really love what you're saying. I do really enjoy, like you have great energy and, you know, I'm curious, like, do you think when you talk about you can't train someone to be confident? Um, if somebody has a great thing that does have value, what if though, what if they just themselves have, you know, don't have the charisma, don't have the—I don't know—the the audacity. Do you think it is? You see, sometimes it's a bit of both too. Because it well, sounds the like the show you—yeah, uh, it sounds like the show you pitched to those executives that your other guy couldn't get across. You both had the same concept. You just had a certain gift of communicating it. Does that make yeah, sense? You know,
1: it's interesting, but it's very counterintuitive. And I would say the people that I have the hardest time coaching are the big A-type personalities, like myself. Like, they don't want to listen. They want to use their personality and their charisma to overpower, and they don't want to do the work. They, they would rather be flashy and cool than actually do the work to get the information in the right format. And I've had such good luck in biotech and biomedical stuff, oil and gas, like the scientific spaces, on public public companies as well. Because they don't want to do flashy promotion stuff. Like, you know, you get a scientist and you tell them that, hey, listen, all your information in the right place. I don't care what kind of tie you wear. I don't care if you make eye contact with the audience. It doesn't really matter. Like, it's nice. It's a great bonus. But for the most part, it makes no difference whatsoever. You could almost read it. If it's good and it's well positioned and the information is clean, that's really what people are craving. They've got lots of people in matching suits and doing all the neuro-linguistic programming, we've all heard that a million times, that's not impressive. You know what it's like? It's a little bit like now when you get somebody, you order a package on Amazon, you order a product, and it comes in with a beautifully packaged box, and it looks like Apple packaged it. You're like, whatever. Every single product comes in a beautifully packaged box now. Every single one. It used to be only Apple. You're like, wow, just the box alone of the new iPhone is amazing. Now it doesn't matter what you order. It comes in a nice package, right? It's the same thing. Like I am like my issues with the narrow linguistic world and all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, if you think that those things still work, like you are not paying attention. Like everybody knows the tricks. Imagine, by the way, I don't know if you remember, but years and years, we used to train salespeople to use the, your client's name. Lindsay, I'm just, oh, how are you today, Lindsay? Lindsay, how are things to meet you, I'm Lindsay, it's like. Could you imagine if someone did that to you today? You'd, <laughs> you'd, like, you'd know. It is wrong with yeah, you. Yeah, you'd know. You said my name over and over again. And it's like that's the world we live in. If you you lean into somebody in the elevator and be like, "Excuse me, I, you know, I have an investment opportunity that can make you ten times your money by the end of the year with that interest." You? Like nobody leans in and goes, "Ooh, tell me more." Right? Like that's not the way the world works. We, you know, we've been trained so long to use what's called the state proof method. I'm going to give you something that you want make a big statement you go oh yeah i want that room like would you like to lose weight and still eat anything you want oh yes print i would okay well let me show you this new guy. right like, sure if you could get a time machine and go back to the 1980s you could you know you could use that but nowadays people are just skeptical of every single thing that comes through and i train people how to use what's called the inform and lead method which is what hollywood does right we we give you the information and lead you to a conclusion. So, if you're looking at like my favorite movie, Shawshank Rinesh, you know, we don't start the movie with Andy Dufresne escapes from this horrific prison where he's bullied and okay, you know, objectified. Here's why he does it. Like that's not, spoiler alert. He He's So, um, so we don't do that, right? We tell you who he is, what he's going through. We lead you through, and at the end, you've seen the movie 15 times. You still want him to escape, like you want the outcome, I lead you to that outcome. you can't really have another outcome. You don't watch that movie and be like, I wish you just stayed in that prison. This is so boring like that's the way this world works, right, and you can use that in pitches and presentation communication. you can lead your audience with good storytelling structure and simplified messaging, and they will understand the conclusion that you want to and it's it's a very powerful method
0: that is um so. Inspiring to me when you talk about how, you know, things of yesteryear that we used in sales tactics and in, interpersonally as human beings are just gone and they've been overplayed and overdone and now we're skeptical. That just resonates. I mean, of course, right? And we've seen all the commercials. We've done it like gross. No, it has to be done different. I mean, the infomercial of this year, for example, is long form um, entertainment just make you laugh. Like, right. Like you tell about the product by making jokes and like, you know, the Harmon brothers who I work, who I've worked with extensively, who created, you know, squatty potty and poopery and purple mattress and all that. And they they basically just they nailed that. But now there's a bunch of me toos And a lot of people are copying that model. Right. And we
1: get tired of the same. And by the way, like, yeah, if you look at the success of that model. Like if you look at the success of that model now, you see that walking to camera, single frame shot, making a joke on the of the product. It's like you're kind of. It's already the beginning of an eye roll. It is this close, and in another year, that system will be dead because you'll be like, "I've seen this all before." It does not mean the product is clever or interesting anymore. Right? It used to. Now I'm not sure. And soon I'll be like, "I'm done with." That. And we we just we we.
0: The skeptic comes from, okay, I get what they're doing. They're selling me and they're they're just doing what it's 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 like there's no wonderment. There's no surprise. It doesn't it doesn't lead you. Like you just said, you're not being led anywhere. It's Like, I know what's going on here. You're going to make me laugh and tell me the quirky things about this thing. Dumb. And also the jokes are really similar and the products are kind of similar. They're quirky products they have to explain. And you know what I mean? And all that stuff. And and you see a lot of brands trying it that aren't quirky products, and it really falls flat. Like, here's why this t-shirt's better than all t-shirts, and I'm going to make as many jokes as I can about it. It's like, ugh, I'm over this. It's also like the long-term content. So I really think you're right. Like, things have a shelf life. And so what do you think it is that how can we be as people that are communicating value? so many people that will be listening to this podcast or people that want to convey, like I said, they may be entrepreneurs, they may want to just convey their own value to their bot to get a raise. They might want to, they might be missionaries of their, of whatever, you know, eva- evangelicals of whatever they, you know, want to share in their world. It might be a musician that can communicate the message of their song and what their, what their purpose is. We all want to communicate to other human beings effectively to be fully known and chosen, right? So how, what, what can we be attuned? What do you think it is about your mindset that helps you see this when other people don't see it? Like kind of my, my mentor always talked about what is common sense isn't common practice. You know, like when you, when you said all these things in the book, I was listening to three minute rule and I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Like why didn't, hasn't anyone said it this way? But it's so obvious when it's pointed out so succinctly. And a lot of what you're saying today just has such elegance and and clarity but what do you think about your mindset or how can we look at the world in a way that will that will be um help us have an open aperture for what's up next
1: well i think the biggest thing is you have to understand that you know your information on an intimate level and so you have the perfect understanding of value of every nuanced detail every stitch every piece every investment quote and like you know those numbers and so you then assess value as an act of all that information. So that's why it's so good for you. You love it. And what I would say, and then I think probably now the number one thing I say to clients after we get through is I have to say, I promise you'll get to say that. Like, I promise you'll get to say that. We just can't say that right now. Just wait. Because they love their information. And so, you know, the number one thing is like, you just have to understand that. You, when you're talking to somebody else, they do not have a foundation of understanding. They are starting from zero. So You got to give them the basics. And what I find is interesting is some of the the most, the hardest work I do is with companies in the very first line. What I say, Lindsay Adley is a blank that does blank. And it's like, I'm not going to put you on the spot because we would be here for 25 minutes trying to figure this out. Because I've had major companies and they're like, well, we're not a we're not an investment. Card. We're up at this, and it's like getting it down to one word is like it's really hard because your product and you know it so well. You know all the things. You know where you want to go. You know what you want to do. You know every detail. It's like, can you just tell me what this is? I just got off a of Zoom. It's like we are an auto manufacturer, okay? Because you make an automobile. Can we all agree? And they're like, fine. To twenty five minutes. Okay, okay, okay. You're an auto manufacturer and you license heritage vehicles from car manufacturers. Okay, so you're gonna take the Lamborghini Countach from Lamborghini and license it, and go make a modern version. It's like that's super cool. Just need you to start with if You're an automaker, so we understand you make cars, right? Like they want to talk about value of the prestige. History and it's, like can we just explain to people what it is? And it's like, that's the core message. Just tell people the simplest version. I promise you'll get to say everything else. It doesn't end just in that one thing. There'll be lots of things you get to say. Trust me, just start with the basics. This is what we do. That's
0: amazing. There's so much um, to learn in what you're talking about. And I'm curious, like, you, you mentioned earlier. That Hollywood, you got, I I don't know, disenchanted, jaded. I don't know what your exact term was, but the feeling I got was like the the luster wore off of this whole world of entertainment in Hollywood. Can you talk a little bit about that and why and like what what you're doing now? Because I'm sitting here like, you haven't even pitched me anything about your services. And I'm like, I want to hire you right now. I I want you to work with me uh, to help us better communicate our value at CAP. But I want you to help me with making TV and film. I want you to help my dad's business you know, I, I'm like sitting here thinking of all the people that I want your gifting to. And all you've been doing is showing up with that clarity of like, the, like you said, the value, but tell, tell us and the listeners how they can work with you now. And like, what took you to what you're doing now too?
1: The pivotal moment was one of my very first events. I was, I was at a barn in Los Angeles. I was pitching, I show ideas to my family. They were visiting from out of town. I was telling about the stupid networks that were passing on these amazing ideas. And and everybody had been drinking, and there was a crowd gathering around. I was pitching these cool ideas, and this guy came up to me, and he says, hey, can you do this for my clients? Can you show my clients how to do what you do? And I was like, no, I can't train people how to pitch TV shows. He's like, no, I want you to teach my clients how to pitch their ideas and their companies about putting people to sleep. And he ran a huge investment bank, and he was doing these investment conferences. And I happened to be in Florida the week he was having one. I went and saw him, and he introduced me to this oil and gas guy. And uh, I sat through his presentation 23 minutes. It's the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. And it's a $2 billion company, public company. And I was like, how could anybody want to be involved with someone who's, who spoke the guy? I have no idea what he was even talking about. So, you know, they asked me, what did you think? He's like, well, I don't know. Can we just can I hear it again? Let me give let you some feedback. I'll be more. So then, and he said something. And I said, after the second one, I was like, did you just want to be sure you said you were being able, still able to drill at $32 a barrel? while the other areas they're laying down their rigs at 37 he's like yeah because the least i was like it took you 17 minutes to say that like so we reorganized the slides it went much better he was like can i hire you to come in and try and redo my entire presentation i was like i, I don't know, I got a job but he you know he asked really nicely and he flew out to los angeles on the weekend and we got on this fancy boardroom hotel and i spent two days just breaking it down like i would a tv show and I, he seemed like he had a great time. Everybody was happy. And two weeks later, he left a voice message on my phone. And he's just like, he was on the verge of tears. And he's just, you changed my life. I used to dread going out on the road and, and these conversations. And now I'm excited. We completed our raise. My wife thinks you did so- put something in my food. Like, I'm so happy. I'll never forget what you've done for me. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, no network president had ever said anything like that to me ever before and i'm like one crow was all the way from being a K man. and so my ego was like yeah i want to score that, and so i you know you want to make friends in the investment bank or just make them some money boom and he's like i got more clients for you, i was like send them my way so that was sort of the beginning of it uh and now i'm sort of in the mode where i'm trying to you know i'm trying to focus on you know i'm in the relentless pursuit of enjoyment in my life I like to help people I don't sell a course I don't sell extras I'm not telling other people how to get rich or do what I do just trying to help people communicate better you know I don't need to sell any more books and great sell books I don't mind if I don't sell anymore I sell more great but if you reach out to me you have a question you want to you know you want my opinion I'm happy to help wherever I can I love that stuff so
0: so so as you're looking at your next kind of phase are there certain brands or verticals yeah. or people that you want to work with? Is there something that you that kind of does like? I love that you got that, that purpose jolt from his being like, you changed my life. I mean, I've spent 20 years in the nonprofit sector and, you know, I like to think that, you know, that the stuff that I've done has mattered and helped and made a difference in people's lives. But there's nothing like one individual
1: coming up to me and be like, this
0: is what you did for me. You know what I mean? There's nothing like yeah. that.
1: And it's been, a, it's been an evolution because, I you know, when I first got, started, I wanted logos, right? I wanted big, fancy companies. I could put logos and I chased logos. Then it was like, then I got into the public company space and I was helping micro cap and small cap companies. And I was, you know, making a fortune on stock options because, you know, they're they're companies nobody's heard of, publicly traded. They start telling a good story. All of a sudden their stock goes up and everybody's happy, right? So I've gone through those iterations. But what I started to find is I, I, you know, working with very large companies and, you know, they'd be all great. And they'd clap and went, I'm, telling I'm pretty, which I kind of need. But for the most part, like, I didn't really change their business. You know, like, it's good. I trained, you know, I did a lot for Bank of America. And it's like, I don't know if you go to Bank of America, you notice it. And, and there's not anybody in there saying like, oh, thanks for random business. That's why we're so good today. Like, so I was missing a little of that. And I also found that I, I you know, I didn't have time for some of the stuff that I love. Like, I loved working with entrepreneurs and small businesses and startups. And I wasn't doing and so I started trying to do more stuff. So I started doing these sort of events, a place in Florida where I would bring in people from my group with, you know, come into my stuff through my website. And I would, you know, they wouldn't be able to afford to hire me, but I'd like, hey, you can come down, spend a day at my beach place and uh, I'll, you know, we'll take an afternoon and go through your stuff, right? And like charity or whatever. And I found that super rewarding because it's like companies I wouldn't normally get to work with. And so... I sort of evolved into this like, you know what? Like, well, I'll just help you for, you know, just let's have a conversation for free. No obligation. It gives me the ability to help some people. I don't say no, because I'm not very good at that. Everybody tells me, I'm pretty am. I'm, like I said, it's kind of important. And then as things go through, when there's people that like, there are certain companies and elements and startups that I just go like, oh my God, I can't not get involved with that. Like I have to help that company. That's amazing. Right? Like I, I told you the day, like I have this, company that's an AI cancer-based company use AI to help you know advance cancer patients with their alternative treatments it's like yes I have to work with those so it's like is it good people is it fun is there something interesting about it like I'm just I'm in a mode in that midlife crisis where it's like I just want to do fun stuff fun people I don't, I don't want to waste time you know doing the standard same stuff I do so
0: yeah, I love that. Brant. My uh, friend of mine said the other day, Lindsay, the first 20 years of your career and and life or, you know, it's your career life, I should say, so from like your 20s to your, you know, 40s, like is all what you said yes to. And the next 20 years will be defined by what you said no to. And I thought that was really cool because um I think that is a discipline of being like, that's not for me. And it just doesn't re- resonate. And it's not about the external validation or even the paycheck. It's like, gosh, I have limited time on this earth and I want to enjoy who I do it with and what I'm doing. And I want to, I want to believe in it. And, and we get a lot of joy from purposes, human beings. So I'm, I I'm kind of circling back again to this thing about the entertainment industry. What was it that, was it the fact that people didn't appreciate each other? Was it the, you know, quintessential? Like, oh, it's, you know, snake oil sells guys everywhere. Like, what was it that really, like, turned you off? You're like, I can't stomach this anymore.
1: You know, it's it's a very insecure, schizophrenic type, right? We don't have marketable skills. That's a problem. If you're a doctor, you went to school, you got a degree, you have marketable skill. If you're a TV executive or a movie producer, you got nothing. And we're all, you know, the like guy, like my buddy used to run ABC said, you no know, we're all just one bad email. Remember, we're figuring out we're a fraud, Right. And so you run around that world, but it's, it's so pervasive, the idea that, you know, you need to have connections, you need to be friends with everybody, you don't know who's going to get what job, when, and it's just exhausting, it's an exhausting process. And the creative element of it just was sucked out of it. It's basically like a widget making business. You know, I'm just creating new shows every, i to come up with every, every day I'm pitching them all every week. Like, it's, there's nothing special in anything. And it's just really daunting when you don't know what the audience is going to respond to and you're not responsible. You don't decide what network, or, you know, what time puts it on or what's happening in the world. And like, you don't get to play any of that. And so you put your heart and soul into, an, into a show and no one watches it. That sucks. You, you don't even care about a show, and everyone watched it. And I've had all every version. I have had shows where I've spent every second in the edit base, every single scene, Know every nuance, did it myself personally, oversaw it. I've had shows that I pretended like I was going to watch. I told the network I was in, in the bay and I never saw a single episode and they were against. So it's like, and every version of that in between, you're like, what am I doing that has any difference in anything? And so, you know, you just you start to realize you're going from deal to deal, just looking at a bigger deal, a bigger paycheck. You know, I'm going to go pitch. And you give, I wrote an article for Forbes about it, about, you know, I lost my company's biggest deal. I was like, I had a huge order for a series and one phone call, they said, hey, we're not doing the series anymore. And it was an $8 million solution production. And it went from me $3 million over budget, like over target for that year to almost $5 million under target for the year. And there's no time to make that up. It's the end of the year. and The shell just went away. Right. And so I remember how miserable I was for weeks and I thought, how is it possible I gave like, my, the power to make me this emotional over to someone I barely know who isn't even at a job that I would have? This is someone who I would hire someone to hire somebody to hire someone. And that person was able to basically ruin weeks of my life. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And That's fair. So. That's
0: really fair was there any i mean i'm sitting here listening to you and i'm like okay so i'm getting into the producing world and i've been making film and stuff and i'm like i find and maybe because it's not my full-time job and i haven't been in and i'm not dated and i'm doing it as a moonlighting uh, hobby like i sit there and think but, but movies have shaped me like i text my friend today he's a young he was a student of mine at the university and he's an amazing cinematographer and he hasn't seen a lot of the classics like you mentioned shawshank and right i love shawshank redemption and Schindler's List and Last Mohicans and Dances with the Wolves and Braveheart. Like he's he's younger. I forget that we're getting old, Grant. This is crazy, right? I'm turning I'm turning forty this year, and I'm sitting here going, yeah, this 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 twenty year old sweetheart kid hadn't seen all of these films that I think like have shaped you know the zeitgeist of of the culture we grew up in. And I'm like, you got to watch these as like a budding filmmaker, right? And so much film can be used to do good. And I'm sitting here thinking about all the people's lives you transformed by helping them lose weight. I mean. Does that not weigh up in it when you looked at like because the scale and or I'm sure they were edifying things like most things there's a shadow side and it just got too much for you of the negative or how do you
1: feel about that? The number of people involved in those shows and those movies to get them to be where they're at, it's like yeah, and you can you can take credit for that when it serves you, but in the real world, it's like you know it was a great piece of it was a great. T V show. I you know, I made a movie called Why I'm Not a Pokemon Go about my relation with my daughter, which I may have got more mail and, and and things that I even did for any of the weight loss shows just on how you know help people relate to their children and stuff, which was really worked to me. I'm really proud of that. But it's like that was outside of the business of it. And by the time you do something on a mainstream level and it gets into the marketplace, like you have to you have to stretch to make it be like it was your thing even if you wrote it you know if you wrote that movie it's like okay all right i'll give you that one you know you did great but if you were a producer on it or the like it's just it's a village and it's amazing but what's really hard for people to, to grasp in this world is that what you're talking about the movies that shape, you are iconic one in a bazillion movies right and there's just the 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 catastrophic odds against you being involved in one of those is is next to none, right? And so for the most part, what most people do is it turns into an actual job and a real business. And it isn't a glorified, creative endeavor where you're on set. checking. you know, it's, it just, that's not the real world. You know, like certainly it happens, I'm sure it happens to a few people here and there. Look at Sylvester Stallone. I have had people come into my office many, many times want to be the star of this and their own thing that they own. I'm like, oh my god. And they're like, well, Sylvester Stallone, he sold his dog and he stuck with it. And I was like, okay. You got one good example like if you want to, you know, and sure, I guess that's fine for you but that's just like the exception. Yeah. It's not a glorious business. That's it's good not no. Yeah. There are some trappings around it which are really cool but the lucrative nature of it creates a level of competition that's also very unpleasant. Like every single level of this business is wildly. competitive, And so it's really lucrative at a certain level for certain people. But you have people that are juniors, producers or managing directors and and these level. And it's like, okay, it took you 15 years to get this level. If you would have just gone to work in a bank, you'd be a multi-millionaire. By now, you would have just picked one thing to focus on, you know, and I, I've had that where, you know, people started out as my assistant 15 years ago and now they're, you know, vice president of development at Netflix. And it's like, woo! Mm-hmm. Wait, all their friends are already rich families at, you know, high level and they're just clawing every job, every single position he's trying to hold on to because there's just, Unlimited amounts of people that want to get into that world.
0: That's so. That's so interesting. Well, I'm thinking of kind of switching this into outside of the entertainment industry. I'm like, I mean, I feel like everything that reaches market scale is a village to create it. I mean, like everything. I don't know of a thing that doesn't have massive impact. You want to become a billionaire, help a billion people. You know what I mean? Like it, the value that that you have to create to have that kind of you know impact. It, it, you no know, one's going to accomplish that alone. No one. And so, um, you know, and I also just think about any any endeavor, whether you're an entrepreneur, or an author, or a coach, right? Like, to really continue to scale it, you have to have people around you and systems and refinement, right? And and you can turn anything into a job. I think what. Because, you know, I'm thinking of my friends who are filmmakers and I know exactly what you're talking about when you describe this kind of like cycle where you can see the soul's been sucked out of them. But they really started out as like a creative genius and someone who was starry eyed and a believer, you know, and then they they like slowly die. But like I, I've seen that in I've seen that in every industry. Like I see that in every single industry, you can find people who have somehow lost themselves in the chasing of whatever this thing outside of them. And that's where and some people
1: love that. Some people are addicted to it. I remember I did a show called Secret Life with Soccer Mom, and it was basically stay-at-home moms that gave their careers to raise family, got a chance to go back and secretly live the life that they would have had had they stuck the job. And it was like this thing born well, to my wife. That's cool a idea. It was amazing. And I tried to get it made for a long time, couldn't get it made. I finally got this fancy job at a network, and I bought it from the company that I originally worked for, and I bought it. And they, uh, this producer, we made it, and I watched, she showed me the first episode, and I cried. I was crying. Oh. I was so, it was just so overwhelming that I finally got this show that I was so inspired by. And it went in the air, basically flopped, and the critics, dumb did, they didn't like the show, they didn't understand. They thought it was like, they didn't like the tone of it. They it was shitting on State of moms, and I was just like, oh my God, it's the lead opposite. And it was devastating, and I was just like, oh. You know, and so some people are addicted to that process, right? They will go through hell. Yes. For that one moment where they get the shy. I'm just like, you couldn't yeah. handle it. Yeah. You're like, no. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> like, don't want And you know what I mean? Like, nah, I, I don't want to I, I feel good more often.
0: Yeah. That's I, so I fair. From... That's I so yeah. fair. Yeah. I
1: don't want to put my stuff and having, you know, and what I found, I do stuff on my own. I control all that.
0: Yeah. And yeah. So... That's true in business too. I feel like, as i as as i've matured as a professional you know the more that you can be like um i'm not handing over my power or having blind faith in some random person like you know either you find a system that is absolutely winning like you know just people in a thing that has real there there and then you attach yourself to or you you hold you hold some things that you have to control you know and those are usually the things that really are successful and there's a lot of you know, at, at, at a lot of variant factors that can play where you don't have control. That's where things can really increase the risk, right? right. So, so as you're a dad, you said of three kids, and, yeah. and, and you said you're so you, this show inspired you about your wife as a stay-home mom. Has she been a stay-home mom through all of your career journey? And tell me a little about your family and like what you guys are about.
1: We moved down to the United States from Canada. You know, she couldn't get a work visa. So it was that it was that move from being a high level career woman to full time. stay. we had one kid when we moved. She's pregnant. In a second. And then you go from that to a state of law, like really with three young ones at home. It's a big transition. And so watching her wrestle with all of that was the inspiration for that sort of show. So, but, you know, like Canada, people always ask me to go back to Canada. I was like, only if I could leave again. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm Canadian by birth, but America is what gave me everything in my life. In Canada was a pain, was just basically a pain. Every day of my life was a struggle. You know, for the first 27 years that I lived there, it was just like, just nothing worked. And I moved to Los Angeles, everything worked. And relationships and people and the tone and attitude, everything just fit. And this is where my people were. So I think that's a big thing for people as well as like, You know, you you have to find where your people are. and Because you grew up somewhere, because you're at some place, it doesn't mean that that's where you have to stay. If you find your people, it it really unlocks a lot about who you are and what you could be.
0: Totally. Gosh, that's so true. And I think um, sometimes people have a lot of loyalty to family or origin or history or whatever, and that can be a beautiful thing for them. But other people, it's like you can pave your own path and find your Tribe and and jenison what was and it's a pretty Amen. cool thing like the sanctity of choice but um, I'm realizing we're like right at the top of the hour you've been super gracious um, Grant and I love talking to you I'm like dying to work with you more I'm so excited um, so what? what's any last things you want to share with the audience or anything you want to say that like you know parting words of wisdom to the soul Yeah, it's what you said
1: <laughs> always remember it's only what needs to be said not what you want to say, Mm. right? I know you want to say everything. Focus on what needs to be said to get your point across. Woo. And there you go. (laughs) Thanks so much, Fran.
0: Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate you. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801 5058 or visit their website at www.capitalfinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast,
1: The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.